If you will, open up in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read verses 15 through 23. And then I'll explain a little bit more in a moment, but we're going to focus our attention on verses 20 through 23, and specifically today, verse 20 and 21. But I want to read this whole passage for us. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. The title of our message today is meditating upon supernatural power. When was the last time you said, wow, that was powerful? I'm sure you've said that at some point in your life. When was the last time you said something happened and you said, wow, that was powerful? Just think for a minute about all the different types of power people have opportunities to witness in this world. That we have opportunities to witness. Something that when it's over, it just leaves us just kind of standing back and, and maybe a little speechless. But if we're able to get words out, we say, wow, that was powerful. Maybe it's the power of nature, such as a hurricane or a tsunami or a volcano or a raging river or a massive waterfall. Maybe it's the power of, of, an, of animals, like, like the, the tail of a blue whale slapping the ocean or the trunk of, a, of an elephant. Somebody gets too close and you've seen videos, that trunk swings out and that person just goes flying. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the power of the jaws of an alligator, something like that. Maybe it's power in some form of manufactured or, or harnessed energy, like the horsepower of a race car. I actually got my kids to watch a little bit of a race the other day, and they wanted me to change the channel. I don't know why. But um, anyways, cars going around in circles. I mean, what gets better than that? But, but I was explaining to them how fast, I was trying to explain how fast those cars were going. It's incredible, and you really don't know it unless you are there and you've actually seen that in person. Maybe it's a harnessed energy like the turbines on a jet engine or a, a stick of dynamite or the rocket that launches a spaceship. I, I've never seen that in person, but I would love to see that in person if I ever had the opportunity. But it's not just the physical things that display power. Maybe it's the power of a comforting word spoken at just the right time that calms a troubled soul. Or on the flip side, it could be the power of a hurtful word that crushes our spirit. Maybe it's the power of a, of a speech. Maybe a speech in a locker room that motivates a team to a come from behind win. Or a speech out on the field of battle that motivates a battalion of troops to defeat an enemy that is bigger and stronger than they are on paper. Maybe it's the power of a song. For me, I just experienced that with our choir. What a beautiful and powerful song. 
the powerful vocals, maybe even perhaps combined with a powerful orchestra that moves an audience to a standing ovation and to talk about that performance for years and years to come. All of these are examples of things that might leave us saying, wow, that right there was powerful. And all of these powerful things, you could put them all together and they would pale in comparison to the greatest power in the universe. Last week we learned of the greatest knowledge. This week we dive a little bit deeper into the greatest knowledge. In church we learn about the greatest power by God's grace. It is a power that we can know. And even more amazing is the fact that it is a power that has been shown to us and is being shown to us. In other words, it's not just a power that's somewhere out there for us to maybe read about in a book and learn about, but never really know and experience personally. But it is a power that impacts us at the deepest level possible. It's a power that if we have trusted in the one who holds this power, it has altered our lives and it continues to alter our lives on a daily basis as the people of God. Like the sun, it's a power that you can't reach out and touch it. You can't touch it, but each and every day it is touching our lives in a very real and transformative and life changing way. What is this supreme power? Well, it's not a power that we create. It's not a power that is even part of this created world. Its source is supernatural. Its source is divine. Its source is God. Specifically, it is the power of God displayed in Christ Jesus. And it is the power that we already know and yet as God's people are to be growing in our knowledge of so that it draws us into deeper fellowship with our God, Father of glory. Church Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 through 23 teaches us this, a deepening awareness of the power of God toward us will come as we meditate upon God's power displayed in Christ Jesus. A deepening awareness of the power of God Toward us will come as we meditate upon God's power displayed in Christ Jesus. As we think about that main idea, let's consider the context of this passage for just a moment. Let me remind you that these four verses in verses 20 through 23 are the last half of one long sentence, which is why I started at the beginning of that sentence when I read a moment ago in verse 15. And this long sentence is a prayer that Paul prayed for the believers to whom he was writing. Last week we learned that Paul was praying that those believers, that we would grow in this in our understanding of this supernatural knowledge. He wanted God to give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, in the knowledge of God. He wanted them to know God more and more. And He told them three specific areas uh, in which He wanted them to grow in their knowledge of God. He wanted them to grow in their knowledge of the hope of God's calling. He wanted them to grow in their knowledge of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And He wanted them to grow in their knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of the power of God. And as Paul prays that they would know this great power, he then moves into a meditation upon God's great power. It's kind of like Paul pauses in his prayer. He says, I want you to know God. I want you to know the the, the hope of his calling, the glorious inheritance in the saints and and the immeasurable greatness of his power. But we got to talk about his power for just a minute. 
It's so amazing. It's so glorious. Let me remind you, Paul says, of what I'm talking about when I pray that you would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us to believe. Let me make sure you know what I mean when I say according to the working of his great might. Better yet, let me not just tell you it in, in words, descriptions of power, but let me show you. Let me show you how God has shown his power. And that's what he does in verses 20 through 23. These four verses are a meditation upon a deep contemplation, upon a deep thinking, upon supernatural power. You know, it's one thing for us to talk about the power of a volcano or the power of a rocket or the power of a, a symphony performing Handel's Messiah. But it's another thing to go and see it, to see it in action, to feel that power in action. So what does this immeasurable greatness of God's power look like in action? Church, it looks like the working of God in Christ. It looks like Jesus. Do you want a deepening knowledge? A deepening awareness of the power of God toward us who believe? Then you must meditate upon. You must think deeply upon the power of God displayed in Christ. Look at what Paul says here. He says that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his powers, verse 19, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ. There it is. That he worked in Christ. Christ Jesus is the ultimate display of the mighty power of God. If we want to grow in our knowledge of God's mighty power toward us, then we must look to Jesus and meditate upon supernatural power of God in Christ. So then Paul goes on in verse 20 through 23 to share four ways in which the mighty power of God is displayed in Christ. And these are the four ways of, uh, of his power displayed in Christ that we want to spend a couple of weeks meditating upon. I, I was going to preach all this at one time and just felt led to, to split this up. We're going to look at two of these reasons today, two of these reasons next week, so we can think deeply upon the mighty power of God, but not just think about it as what it is, the power of God, but then also think deeply about how it impacts our lives each and every day, or should I say how it ought to impact our lives if we are continually learning about this great power. The two that we'll look at today, these two displays of the mighty power of God, are found in verses 20 through 21. So let me just read those two verses one more time. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The first display of God's mighty power, church, that we are to know is this. We are to know God's power in the resurrection of Jesus. We are to know God's power in the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We are to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. It's toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he, God the Father, raised he, God the Son, from the dead. Do you want to see God's power? Then look to the empty tomb. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned and death entered God's perfect creation, death has been an inescapable and unconquerable enemy for the most powerful of humans. As one writer said, death is a bitter and relentless enemy. Just think about it. Think about how, how much energy we pour in to trying to overcome death. We have powerful weapons which can protect us from earthly enemies who want to kill us. We have powerful medicines which can heal us of terrible diseases. We have powerful inventions like 
Analog brakes and airbags and lifeboats and automatic defibrillators and pacemakers that can keep us alive in emergency situations. But none of these things can actually rescue us from death. Permanently. But the greatest power of man, if you think about it, it it can only temporarily postpone our certain appointment with death. It's all the greatest power that we could ever muster can do in the face of death is perhaps just postpone it for a matter of time. But praise God, he has greater power. And it is a power that he displayed on a Sunday morning about 2000 years ago when the incarnate son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, had been nailed to a Roman cross as God's substitute sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And then his dead body had been laid in a borrowed tomb. The one who said he had come to bring abundant life lay dead. The one who said he was the light of the world lay in the darkness of the grave. The one who said he came to rescue sinners from their sin appeared to have been overcome by the consequence of sin. Death appeared to have worked its bitter and relentless work on Jesus Christ. Oh, but the mighty power of God was at work in Christ. For on that Sunday morning, the relentless enemy called death was overpowered, church, by the even more relentless life-giving power of God. God the Father had crushed His Son through the greatest display of love. And then He raised His Son through the greatest display of power. Death had been eternally defeated, for Jesus rose in permanent, eternal victory over death. Church, at the empty tomb, we see God's power over the enemy of death. So if we're going to grow deeper in our knowledge of God, specifically in our knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, then we must know God's power in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are to know God's power in the exaltation of Jesus We're to know his power in the resurrection of Jesus, and we are to know God's power in the exaltation of Jesus. Here, Paul points to God's display display of power that he worked in Christ by pointing to what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. See, God wasn't finished displaying his mighty wonder working power when Christ came out of that tomb. There was still more wonder working power that God was up to in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. That he worked in Christ. What is he working? The measurable greatness of his power that is toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, his power when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, this is a second time we've already seen this heavenly places, right? We, We saw that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now we see that Christ is seated in the heavenly places. God raised him from the dead and then he seated him at his right hand. The word we use for this is the exaltation of Jesus. So when we speak about the exaltation of Jesus, we're talking about the glorious ascension of the resurrected Jesus back to heaven as the one who had conquered death. In the manger, we see the incarnation of Jesus, God, the son becoming God, the man while remaining God the Son, fully God, fully man, the incarnation of Jesus. On the cross, we see the crucifixion of Jesus. At the empty tomb, we see the resurrection of Jesus. And in heaven, we see the exaltation of Jesus. 
To say that Jesus has been seated at God the Father's right hand is a way of saying that Jesus has been given the highest position of honor. The highest position of honor. And just to make sure we understand just how high Jesus has been exalted so that we'll see just how powerful God has worked in Christ, a power that he is working in us. Paul gives some details regarding this exaltation of Jesus. Look at verse 21. Jesus has been exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What is this rule and authority and power and dominion over which Jesus has been exalted? Well, probably it's referring primarily to the powers that exist in the spiritual realm. This would include the spiritual forces of good and the spiritual forces of evil, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week. But if Christ reigns supreme over the unseen realm, then he certainly reigns supreme over the seen realm as well, the physical too. We could put it this way. The power of God has been displayed in the exaltation of Jesus such that there is nothing, church, in the entire universe over which Christ is not Lord. Nothing. And this will never change. It's not a temporary lordship. It's not a temporary exaltation. It's not a temporary being given the name that is above every name. But it is in this age and the one to come. It is for right now and it is for all of eternity. It is an exaltation that will never change. Now, in one sense, Christ has always been supreme over all. Jesus is the word who John said was in the beginning with God and who was God. Jesus is in the very nature of God. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the creator of everything. For Paul told the Colossians that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That sound familiar? We just read that in, in, in Ephesians. All those things that he reigns in dominion over, he created. Well, if you're the creator of it, you're you're kind of automatically supreme over it. All things were created through him and for him, Paul said to the Colossians. So Christ already held a position of supremacy over all these by virtue of his supreme nature. He's fully God. He always has been. It's what it means to be God. He is eternal. But not only is he supreme in his birth by virtue of his nature, but now Christ holds a position of supremacy over everything by virtue of his supreme victory. Not only is he the creator, but now he is the savior from sin and the conqueror of death. It's kind of like a king who is reigning on the throne. He's king over the kingdom. In one sense, he is already supreme by nature of his, by virtue of his office. He holds the title of king. But then if that king goes out to battle against a foe that is terrorizing the kingdom, and that no one has been able to conquer, and he goes off into battle, and he very victoriously, without a question, defeats that enemy, and then he comes back into the palace to sit on the throne as he rolls through the city streets, or perhaps rides on his horse. He comes back in, still reigning supreme, but now he is supreme by nature of his victory over the enemies. And that's what has happened in the exaltation of Jesus Brothers and sisters, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he ascended not only as God, the son, but as God, the son who had become man and had accomplished God's plan of salvation by defeating the power of sin and death. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, Jesus, though he was in the very nature, God, 
He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant that he would be born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the exaltation of Jesus. And church, if we are going to grow deeper in our knowledge of God, specifically in our knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, then we must know God's power in the exaltation of Jesus. So we've seen two of the four displays of the immeasurable power of God that he worked in Christ. He raised him and he seated him in the heavenly places. At his right hand. Now, I could rush on to the other two, but I don't want to do that. I want to save those for next week because it's one thing for us to sit here and and say like how gloriously powerful Jesus is. But it's another thing for that power to impact our lives. And I don't want us just to be able to say that Jesus is powerful, that that God has displayed power, but I want us to live out that power in our daily lives. So what I want us to do now is to think back to his resurrection power and his exaltation power and say, what is that? What difference does that make in my life right now? Remember, remember the context of, of this meditation upon the supernatural power of God. Paul is praying that the believers would grow in their knowledge of God by knowing what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's not just a power out there. It's a personal power. Paul's reason for describing the power of God is to help the believers see and know the power that has been shown is being shown to them in verses in chapters uh, four through six. He's going to call us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which he has called us. That's an incredible task to walk worthy of the calling of salvation that God has put in our hearts. How are we going to do that? Well, it's only going to be by the power of Christ in us. And so we want to think about how this power impacts us on a daily basis. Church, this is a power that is toward us to believe. Right now, this supernatural power is toward us who believe. So what difference does this power make in our lives right now? Consider the resurrection power of God in Christ. How does the resurrection of Jesus impact your life today? How should it impact my life today? Let me share with you two ways. First, the resurrection power allows us to live new lives marked by holiness. The resurrection power of God displayed in Christ allows us to live lives marked by holiness. When I say holiness, I'm speaking the opposite of sin. Speaking of the perfectness of God. His holiness and righteousness. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, church, we who have believed in Christ, the Bible says, have been raised as well. We have new life in Christ. Our old sinful self is dead and we are now new creations in Christ. Behold, the the old is gone and the new has come. In chapter 2, we're going to see that we once were dead in our sin, but now we have been made alive in Christ. In chapter 4, Paul will call on believers to put off our old self and to put on our new self. Created, he says, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
How do we do that? Well, because of the resurrection power of Jesus, we are not bound by our sinful nature any longer. But we have resurrected life in us today. If you believed in Christ, you have the resurrection power of God living in you, which means there's no excuse for sin. Church, there's no excuse for sin in our lives. We cannot say, well, it's just who I am. Oh, it's just, it's just, I was, it's just, I was born this way. It's just, it's just, it's just what I do by nature. Listen, God nailed that old nature to the cross and he put the resurrection power of God in us. We're not enslaved to that sin anymore. As Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter six, verse four, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. In newness of life. Church, when resurrection power is flowing in you, there should be no sin flowing out of you. If resurrection power is flowing in me, there shouldn't be any sin flowing out of me. Which means when there is sin flowing out of me, I am not meditating upon the resurrection power of God in Christ. My mind is on the earthly things. Instead of in heaven where Christ is seated above. And so resurrection power allows us to live new lives marked by holiness. But second, this resurrection power allows us to live without the fear of death. The resurrection power of God allows us to live life without the fear of death, church. Either the resurrected Christ is going to return before we die and take us to be with him. Or if we die before he returns, then when he returns, our bodies will be resurrected like he was resurrected. And in between that time, our spirit will be with him in paradise. We don't have to fear death. In John chapter 11, you know the story. Lazarus had died. He had been in the tomb. Mary and Martha, some of Jesus' closest friends have called on Christ and Jesus is on his way and they, they meet and they have this conversation and they're in that conversation in the context of death because their brother is dead in a tomb. Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, there's only, only two possibilities for believers in Christ. Because of the resurrection power of God, either we live until Jesus comes back or we die. And when he comes back, we live with him forever. Either way, it's life for believers in Christ. We don't have to fear death. One day the dead in Christ will rise up from the grave, will be given resurrected bodies that are immortal, just like Christ has been clothed with an immortal body, will rise to meet the Lord and to live with him, our Savior forever. We don't have to fear death. And here's a here's another implication of us not having to fear death. When you live without fear of death, it doesn't mean you go around doing stupid things, right? It doesn't mean you just live recklessly because you don't have to fear death. That's not how we live without a fear of death. But it does shape how we live. And it does mean that we will take risks. Not risks doing stupid things, but doing risky things for the kingdom of God. When you live without fear of death, you can live boldly for Christ. At the end of this letter, Paul asks the believers to pray for him. And, and here's his request. He says, the very end of this letter, he says, pray for me that 
I may have boldness to open my mouth to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Now, why does he need boldness to do that? Well, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He is asking for prayer at the end of this letter to keep doing the thing that has landed him in prison. He's asking for boldness to keep doing a risky thing, not a stupid thing, but an act of obedience to King Jesus. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was he was beaten. He was stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned all for preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is a risky thing. But when we don't fear death, we will engage in those risky things for the cause of Christ. I think one reason he kept sharing the gospel is because he didn't fear death. I love what he told the Philippians. He said this as he's writing from prison. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, when that is our heartbeat, because the resurrection power of God is in us, then we will say to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'll do whatever he calls me to do. I'll speak to whoever he calls me to speak to. I'll go to wherever he calls me to go. And I don't have to fear death as I do it. I can boldly proclaim Christ because I have life forever. So because of the power of the resurrection of Christ, we have the power to live new lives marked by holiness and to live with no fear of death for both sin and death have been defeated by our resurrected Lord. Now, what about the power of the exaltation of Christ? How does Christ, having been exalted up in heaven, change our lives down here on the earth? We say, well, great job, Jesus. Glad that you made it to heaven. How does that change me right now here in my day to day life? Well, I think the exaltation of Christ allows us to live with peace in at least three ways. I want to focus on this peace for a moment. Three ways. First, this exaltation power allows us to live with peace regarding this turbulent world in which we live. Friend, we live in a world that is, is turbulent to say the least. I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane and in Turbulence, but it's not the funnest thing in the world. You, you're, you're, you're bumping around, and the thing is, you don't know when it's going to happen. It's just, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, whoo, oh, you jerk to this side, you jerk to that side. I, I've been there. I've been, I've, I've been in, in turbulence for more than a few minutes at a time with a, with a migraine, and my head rocking from side to side, and that plane shaking around. It's, it's not fun. And it can cause a lot of anxiety in us. It can, it can lead us to worry, right? That's what life in a broken world is like. There's turbulence all around us. We don't ever know when it's coming. But we can live with peace knowing that Jesus, our good shepherd who died for our redemption and rose for our eternal life, this Jesus is reigning over all things. He is supreme over all things and will always be supreme over all things. So often we are like those disciples in that boat in the storm. We are worried. We are anxious. And all the while, the very power that spoke creation into existence is in the boat with us. Friends, the resurrected Jesus has been exalted to the Father's right hand and He is reigning over all things. 
Living with peace in the midst of life's turbulence is not a denial of the turbulence, but it is an acknowledgement of and trust in the Lord of glory who has been exalted over all things, who reigns supreme over the turbulence of this life. Christian, meditate. Spend time meditating upon the power of Christ's exaltation and let it destroy worry and anxiety in you. The more we come to know the power of the exaltation of Christ, the more we can live with peace regarding this turbulent world in which we live. Second, this exaltation power allows us to live with peace regarding the completion of our salvation. This exaltation power of Christ allows us to live with peace regarding the the, the completion of our salvation. The exaltation of Jesus means that God's wrath toward our sin has been completely satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was seated in heaven, it was a symbolic action in heaven corresponding to his incredible declaration from the cross. On the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. What was finished? Well, the payment for our sin was finished. And when God seated Jesus at his right hand in heaven, it was God the Father agreeing with the declaration of his son from the cross. God was saying, you were right when you said it is finished. It is finished. Christian, here's what that means. There is no more sacrifice to be made. There is nothing else we have to do to pay for our sin. Oh, we may have to sacrifice certain things in this life in order to follow Christ the way he's called us to follow him. But we no longer need to pay for our sin. That is finished. Jesus is salvation plus nothing. He sat down because the work of redemption was finished. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He didn't keep standing because he didn't need to sacrifice anymore. He sat down at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry about needing to add something like good works to the completed work of Christ on the cross. We can live at peace regarding the completion of our salvation. The more we come to know the power of the exaltation of Christ, the more we can live with this peace when it comes to the completion of our salvation. And then third, this exaltation power allows us to live with peace regarding the permanence of our salvation. The permanence of our salvation. Church, we don't ever have to worry about our enemy, the serpent, coming before the throne of God. Satan is called the accuser. He accuses us before God. We don't ever have to worry about Satan going to God, accusing us of sin and convincing God that we don't belong to him because of our sin. We don't ever have to worry that God's going to hold our sin against us. Why? Because Jesus was not exalted to heaven to do nothing. Yes, he is set down. but That doesn't mean he's not doing anything. It means he's not sacrificing for sin anymore because that was done on the cross. But he is doing something in his exalted status, he continues to serve as our great high priest interceding for us before the Father. In other words, every time we sin as his children, every time our sin is brought before the Father, Jesus is there saying, but I paid for his sin, but I paid for her sin. Father, your wrath has been satisfied. See my nail scarred hands and feet inside. That child of yours is still forgiven. 
Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? The more we come to know the power of the exaltation of Christ, the more we can live with peace regarding the permanence of our salvation. And so because the power of the exaltation of Christ, we can live with peace, church, peace in a turbulent world, peace when we think about our salvation and whether it has been completed or not. It has and peace regarding permanence of our salvation as we realize that Christ always lives to make intercession for us. Do you know the resurrection power of God in Christ today? Do you know the exaltation power of God in Christ today? And by no, I mean, are you living in the power of God in Christ today? Is the power of the resurrection of Christ shaping your life? Is the power of the exaltation of Christ shaping your life today? It's not a power somewhere out there, Christian. This is a power that is right here in us. It is a power that is toward us who believe. But of course, you must believe in Christ to have this power. It is toward us who believe. So have you believed in Jesus today? Are you believing in Christ alone for salvation? His finished work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead. His exaltation to the Father's right hand. Have you believed in Jesus for salvation? If not, then you must. You must believe in Jesus who died for sin and rose from the grave and reigns over all. You must receive this gift of God's grace. The power of God in Christ, listen, provides a free gift of salvation to everyone who will believe in Jesus for that salvation. It's the power of God displayed in the grace of God towards us. It's a free gift of salvation. Have you received it? Have you believed in this Jesus? If not, will you believe in Him today? Will you ask Him to save you, not because you deserve it, but because Christ is worthy of the praise of all who will call upon His name for salvation? Because Christ did what no one else has ever done. He defeated death. He is seated at God's right hand. Will you believe in Him today? In church, if you have, And I just ask us this. Are we meditating on the supernatural power of God that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come? Will you seek to know God better by meditating upon the resurrection power of God in Christ? Will you seek to know God better by meditating upon the exaltation power of God in Christ? Not only will it leave us saying, wow, that is powerful. But it will leave us saying, wow, look how his power is changing my life. All praise to God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, You are powerful. Thank You for displaying Your power in Christ. And God, we've only looked at 
verse 20, 21. Just two of the four ways that we find in this prayer that Paul prayed. How great is your power. How great is your power. God, forgive us for being distracted by lesser things. Forgive us for not living out the salvation that You have given to us. God, You have given us the power to live worthy of the calling to which You have called us. It's the greatest power the world has ever known. Father, and it is toward us who believe. Father, as we meditate upon the power that is in Christ, God, may it change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.